This morning we will be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, and so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And let's read that passage together as we begin. This is Ephesians 2, starting at verse 19. The word of the Lord says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. My God bless the teaching, the reading of his word this morning. Uh, I was reminded as I read that (laughs) that I forgot to announce that I was talking about aliens this morning. But... uh, There it is, right there in verse 19. We are no longer strangers and aliens. It is in the Bible. Uh, But I'll let you look into that more uh, more on your own. Um, But no, as we begin, we read this morning in this passage about the temple being built together into a holy temple of the Lord and being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that's really why we read in our scripture reading this morning from Revelation chapter 21. Because in that passage, we see the end, where everything is headed. We see the, the results. We see John, and he sees the, the vision from the angel. The angel shows him, says, I'm going to show you the bride of Christ. Right? And then the angel, surprisingly, doesn't show him people or a group of people. The angel shows him a city. And I think that has some prominence for how we understand the city. But right, he shows him the new Jerusalem. He shows him that uh, the streets of gold, the, the pearly gates, not gates made of pearls, but each gate made of one single giant pearl, right? He shows him this marvelous city with the glory of God just shining from it, where there's light all the time. The glory of God is there, right? And so that's how the Bible ends. That's where everything is headed. And at the end of that passage, there is that phrase that catches our attention where it says there is no temple there. There is no temple in the New Jerusalem. And why is that? It's because the Lord is the temple, right? We remember that The temple is really meant to represent the dwelling place of God with people, the presence of God, right? And so the Lord is there. There's no need for a temple because the Lord himself is there in the midst of his people. And that's where everything is headed. And we see that connection to our passage this morning. And that's not just something that's at the end of the Bible, not just something that's here, but really that's at the very beginning of the Bible as well. If you were to think about the big overarching storyline that God presents to us in his word, we see Adam and Eve in the garden walking with God in the presence of God. 
And so there, in the beginning and in the end, we see the same thing, right? People walking in the presence of God, God in their midst. But something happens in the garden, right? We know Adam and Eve sinned. They're separated from God, and they can no longer walk with God. God can't dwell among sinful people. And so something has to be done, right? And even in the Testament, even in the Old Testament, when they have the, the temple or the tabernacle, where the presence of God dwells in the midst of the people, even then, there's still a separation between God and the people, right? There's a curtain in the temple that you cannot go into the Holy of Holies because you can't go into the presence of God. Only one person could go in there once a year, and that was the high priest, right? And so this is kind of the dilemma as we start in the Old Testament. People were in the presence of God. Now they're separated from the presence of God. How can we get back into the presence of God? The temple reminds us we need the presence of God, but we're not holy. And then we get to Jesus, and Jesus shows up, and what does he do? He, he dies on the cross for our sins to make us holy, to make us righteous. And when he dies, you remember what happened, right? The curtain in the temple that reminds us of our separation from God, that we cannot be with a holy God. The curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom in two. And so there's no longer, because Jesus died, there's no longer a separation between God and us. We can be in the presence of God right now because of what Jesus has done, because of his death on the cross. Austin, I'm going to go ahead and switch to the pulpit. Can you turn that up for me? <clears throat> and so we see in the Bible this storyline, this progression, right, of the temple and how we were in the presence of God in the beginning, and then now we are separated from him, but Jesus brings us back. And that's what we're reminded of here, that now as the people of God, we can actually dwell together with God again. This is, this is not just something that's going to happen in the future. It's not just something that we look forward to dwelling in the presence of God, but it's something that happens right now. Right now, we are being built together as the people of God for a dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God. That's what the New Testament reminds us. And so that means individually, God dwells in us and the Holy Spirit. He sends his Holy Spirit when we're saved and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, right? But also collectively, we are the temple of God. We're being built together as the people of God. Sometimes the Bible uses the imagery of the body, how God knits the body together, right? Sometimes it uses this imagery of a building or a temple, right, where God is stacking the stones together to make a dwelling place of God. So as we look around this morning, as you think about the church, that's what the church is. That's why Sunday morning is so important when we gather together, because we are gathering as the temple of God, where God dwells. And that's a really incredible thing, because that means when we gather together, that God is here, that God is in our midst because we are the temple and he dwells amongst his people because of Jesus. And so that gives an incredible importance to what we do 
when we worship God together, right? It's, uh, it changes our whole mindset about Sunday mornings. It changes our whole mindset about church in general, right? It's not just something we do. Uh, it's not just the cultural appropriate thing to do uh, that's good to do. But that when we come, we actually come to meet with God. That that's why we came this morning. It's a good reminder for us. And that affects, that affects not just our attitude about church and the priority it has in our life. I mean, think about it. How high of a priority does church have if we get to meet with God every time we come? Like, that would be immediately right at the top, right? Better than anything else that we experience on earth is the gathering because we come to be in the presence of God. So it affects our mindset, but it also affects how we gather together, the things we do when we come here, right? It's not just uh, the things we do, the tradition we have of singing certain songs or having a certain order of service or things like that, but everything we do is meant to be done to the Lord because he is here among us. So when we sing, you can go down the list of everything we do. When we sing, right? Uh, we're not just singing to God who's in heaven. We're singing to God who is right here among us. Right? That affects how we sing. Uh, it affects how we give, that we're not just giving to the Lord who uh, mysteriously works all things together for his good and takes that money to support missionaries in foreign countries. We're giving to the Lord right here as though he is here and we get to give our offering and worship to him. Uh, when we listen to his word, it's as though he's speaking to us because he is here and his word, we are hearing it right now, right? We get to meet with God on Sunday mornings. And that's what this passage reminds us, that the Lord Jesus has been uh, working this plan. He's had this plan and he's put it into action so that we would meet with him, so that we would be in the presence of God. And that has an impact on not just the things we do and how we do them, but if you think more of a, a general perspective, if you were to zoom out, right, that gives a, a seriousness to the things we do, right? It's not, a, it's not a casual thing to come to church and enter into the presence of the holy God. Uh, we should think about how we enter into his presence, what our attitude is, how we how we approach him. A good, a good question really is, how can I show God more reverence when I come into his presence, when I meet with him? What are some things I can do? That'd probably be a, a good question to ask later. You're eating lunch or you're sitting, you're thinking this afternoon. When I meet with God, how can I show him reverence when we gather together as a church? It's a good thing to think about. Uh, what are some ways we can do that individually? Right, we, we remember it's not a, a simple thing, a, a nonchalant thing to enter into the presence of God. People entered into the presence of God wrongly in the Old Testament and they died. Right, you remember the high priest could go in once a year. Well, what did they do? They, they tied a rope to him when he went into the presence of God. And that was because he might die and they might have to pull him out, and they didn't want to go in and die as well, so they would pull him out if, if something happened, if he didn't do it right, right? We have that same privilege of entering into the presence of God, and we do it, we do it without fear because God has made us holy, 
right? We don't fear being struck down because of our sin because Jesus has dealt with that. And yet there is still an awe and a reverence that the Lord deserves as we enter into his presence. And so we are reminded of that as we think about being the temple of God, that we come into his presence to worship him. It affects, I mean, it affects everything. Uh, How we think about how we sit, how we dress, how we sing, how we give, all of these things are affected by being in the presence of God. And so it's a reminder to us. And really, this is a privilege. It's a privilege that we get to enter into the presence of God. Because if you remember this passage here in Ephesians, we're right in the midst. In fact, this is the same paragraph, you would say, of where Paul is writing to the Gentile believers who have once been separated from the people of God. But now they're, because of Jesus, they're made one with the people of God. They are citizens of the kingdom. And so for them, they had no hope of this. They didn't grow up with the temple in the middle of the city, right, that they could go and pray to God and worship him. They were far off from God and had no hope without God. And yet here, Paul is telling them, because of what Jesus has done in your life and bringing you near, you can now come into the presence of God, or even uh, more accurately, God comes and dwells in you, which is an amazing thing, that they didn't have these promises, they didn't have this hope, and now they are in the presence of God. And it's worth thinking about, because this, the same thing applies to us. We, for the most part, are probably Gentiles who didn't know the Lord, right? It had to come to us somehow, But now we get to be in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. So I think it's helpful for us to think, how exactly is that possible? We think about these promises. We think about what God's done in the Old Testament and with Jesus and bringing people into his presence. But how exactly is it possible for Gentiles, for people who had no promises, to receive the presence of God and the promises of God? Uh, Because when we, let me set it up for us and make sure we understand the question. In the Old Testament, when God made promises, he didn't make those promises to Gentiles, right? The Old Testament is about the people of Israel. Uh, We get glimpses here and there, right, of God's plan. And we can see looking back from the New Testament how this has always been God's plan. But just take the, the New Covenant, for example. When God made the promise of the New Covenant... He made that promise to to Israel, to the people, the 12 tribes, right? The the ethnic Israelites. That's who he was talking to. That was the audience, right? But now, in the New Testament, we read here, we read elsewhere, that now we're the the people of God. We're the citizens of God. We, We get to partake of the new covenant. Even though that promise wasn't made to me or to any Gentile, we still receive that promise from God. So the question is, how is that? This is amazing that the presence of God dwells in our midst. It should blow our minds. And we can think about, how is that even possible? Uh, Because that promise didn't belong to me, as it says in this passage back in uh, chapter 2, verse 12. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. 
So how do we receive these promises so that we can be the people of God in the presence of God and dwell with him forever? Uh, there are probably two ways to think about it. Uh, the easiest, they're connected. So let me try to make it straightforward. In Romans chapter 11, Paul talks about an olive tree. And if you're familiar with the passage, he talks about grafting in new branches onto the olive tree, right? So uh, whenever you prune the olive tree, you can cut some off, you can cut the dead branches off, right? You can make a little slit, you can put the new branch on, and it's grafted in as part of the tree, right? Uh, I don't know if you had this experience, but when the freeze happens uh, this last year, my orange tree died, <laughs> but something started growing back from it. But it's not an orange tree. It's some other unspecified tree that I haven't figured out yet. But it's not an orange tree, and why is that? It's because originally when they made the orange tree, they grafted it on to another plant to speed up the process of growing the orange tree, right? So originally it was an orange tree, but when the orange tree freezed over and died off, then what grew back was the original plant, not the orange tree. It's a fascinating trick that you may not know of when you buy an orange tree or other plants from Home Depot or Lowe's, right? It may not be grown from the seed. It may just be grafted. Anyways, that gives you an example of what uh, that passage in Romans 11 is talking about, right? We're not original. We're not the olive tree, the original branches, but God is able to graft us on to Jesus, the roots, so to speak, so that now we have life, now that we are the people of God because we know Jesus. And so now those promises in the Old Testament that weren't made to us, those promises actually do belong to us because we're not just some foreigner, not some stranger, not some alien. We're actually the people of God. He's made us part of his people, and so the promises he made to the people of God are promises that belong to us as well because he's made us one with him. That's what God does when he makes us one with Jesus. He gives us hope. He gives us the promises. We're made the actual people of God. And so that's how we can look at this passage, or we can look at the, the new covenant promises of receiving the Holy Spirit or all these other things, and those things can be true of us. Even though when God made those promises, he was just talking about Israel because now anyone who believes in Jesus has been made a part of the people of God, right? Uh, not to replace Israel, but to become a part of the true Israel, the true believers who have faith, just like Abraham. Everyone who believes, as Galatians says, everyone who believes in Jesus is an offspring of Abraham and thus receives the promises. Even though it's not mine by birthright, Jesus is able to make us one with him, make us the people of God. And so we see that here in this passage that Gentiles who were far off, who had no hope, they couldn't come into the presence of God. They were pagans. They didn't even know who God was until someone came, right? And the apostle Paul came and shared the gospel and they heard and they believed and they heard this message, not just about Jesus forgiving them of their sins and bringing them to God, but the message that 
when that happened, that they would also receive the promises of God. They would receive the hope of the future. They wouldn't just be some second-class citizen. In fact, the reason it uses two words here, strangers and aliens, one is like, one is just like someone who's here uh, traveling through. Like, you know, if you go to a foreign country and you get a visa and then you're there for a week and then you leave, that'd be like a stranger. But an alien is kind of like a resident alien. You live there. You're a part of the country, but you're not really a citizen yet, right? You're there on the long-term, the long-term visa or whatever other uh, way you get there. You're, you're there, but you're not a citizen, right? And so Paul's saying, listen, that's not you as a Gentile. You're not just there, and you get to experience the goodness of being there, but you're really not part of the people of God. No, Paul says, you're full-fledged citizens and members of the household of God. This wasn't the case before, but now it is. Now you get to experience God. And, and here's the, the great thing about it, right? Is that now you are in the presence of God. You're the temple of God. Just like God is building together his people so he can dwell there, you're a part of that. And when you read Revelation 21 and you read about the temple, you will be a part of that where God dwells forever in the midst of God. That's our hope because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus himself is the cornerstone and we are built upon him. And so everyone who believes this message will be in the presence of God, will be saved, and will be a full member of the kingdom of God with all the promises promised to them as well. And so this is the hope we have as Christians, that when we gather together, we gather into the presence of God. And that's something to remember and think about as we contemplate what church is. It's not just something we do. It's not just something that's culturally relevant, but it is something that is really a miracle that has been worked by Jesus, that we can come into the presence of God. And may we honor him as we come and we worship him. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you have done what we could not hope to do. That though we were far off from you, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We had no hope and no promises without you. We thank you that you have sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to take our place, to forgive us, and to make us righteous so that we can be in your presence. Lord, remind us anew of what that means. Fill us with awe and wonder as we think about being in your presence. May we have a holy fear and reverence for you as we gather together. May it give us a deep joy, knowing that what we do here matters because we meet with you and we get to know you more and worship you and rejoice in your presence and all the good things that come because you are here, all the things the Bible says about being in your presence, that in your presence is fullness of joy and is peace and is life, all those things are true. We are in your presence right now. 
Lord, remind us of these truths and give us a love and a joy and a desire, a passion for gathering together with your people. And may you be honored as we grow to look more and more like you as your body, as your temple where you dwell. So that people can look and see and see that this is where God is and that they will be drawn to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.